to Back to Excited, episode 38. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, how are we doing? We're not doing well. We We're are in not a doing bad well. mood. We are in a very bad mood. We're recording this immediately after getting absolutely pantsed by the Boston Bruins, which is never the best emotional state in which to record a podcast. Yeah. But that's not really... The worst of it, you know, we've had ugly losses this season. We will have more ugly losses this season, even if it goes well. There were some things discussed in the second intermission tonight that were really disheartening. Right. Okay. So let's let's get right into it. Um, mm-hmm. Sportsnet or Hockey Night in Canada or CBC. I don't I, I don't know who's in charge of this or how to refer to it, but they have their headline segment in the second intermission where uh, basically they talk about different kind of businessy aspects of the league generates contracts or injuries or suspensions or things like that um and for most of this season this has been the time where everyone affirmed how little they knew about the william nylander situation this was a little different uh because we got a couple i guess interesting nuggets that paint a um unflattering picture of where the leafs and nylander are and what that potentially may mean for his future in the blue and white so i'll read um what was said verbatim. This is thanks to Maple Leafs Hot Stove, who do a lot of great transcription work and analysis and a lot of other stuff. Uh, Our own Kevin Papetti had a great article there earlier this uh, week. They also have a subscription model that you could support, and I recommend you do because they do really, really nice work. Um, So Elliot Friedman uh, said this regarding William Nylander. I still think that Toronto Maple Leafs goal is to sign him, but they're at a point where they're beginning to test the market. Where it is that they have asked teams to inform them who the teams and interested parties will not be willing to move, and also to begin preparing formal offers for the unsigned Toronto winger. I did ask the GM, Kyle Dubas, if this was accurate, and he declined comment, but to our information, that is where we are at this point. The next phase is beginning. So, um, yeah, that's what, uh, that's what Friedman said. Nick Kiprios added on to that. I'm hearing the priority is still to sign him. The talks are ongoing. Some have suggested to me that the Leafs may be willing to go to the Pasternak contract, which is just around $40 million over six years. My understanding, though, is that an official offer... Uh, my understanding is that uh, is that isn't an official offer as of just yet. But we do believe that if the Leafs are going to make a short-term deal, it might not come until the end of November in the last minute. A lot of suggestions are saying that that number will have to be around $18 million for three years, but right now, still no traction. Uh, Chris Johnston added... History tells us that it is likely to end up this way. William Nylander is the 21st player in the last nine years to go through this process beyond October without a contract as a Group 2 player. Only one went longer than him. That was Kyle Turris in 2011. He signed with Arizona, but a few weeks later was traded to Ottawa. There isn't much history of RFAs getting this deep into the process and making a deal to stay with the team. Uh, As a side note, Kiprios added that there's still no meaningful contract negotiations with Matthews and Marner. It doesn't appear to be a top priority just yet for the Leafs. Um, Regarding that last point on Kiprios, um, this is something that you and I addressed earlier, Fudeman, and basically we came to the agreement that there is no reason for either Matthews or Marner to negotiate right now uh, because they are in a brilliant position to make themselves a lot more money if they negotiate eight months from now. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's too much to worry about. Everything else that was said kind of is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to put the Mitch Marner thing to bed quickly, he's on pace to clear 90 points. Yeah, I wouldn't negotiate either in his shoes because that sets him up for a raise. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it because the bridge that we're currently trying to cross is on fire. So, I don't think that there's any way to interpret 
all this William Nylander chatter, except as things are going really badly. Now, you might say, well, it's pretty obvious things are going really badly because, as Chris Johnson pointed out, most RFAs have signed long before now, and we aren't close to a deal. That seems clear. There's not anything imminent. There's not any real sense that the sides are really moving towards each other. There's been no sense of progress whatsoever. No, there was one blip of three days of progress where suddenly everyone was saying, oh, a deal will get done in the next couple of days. Uh, Dean Blundell, of all people, was like, there's definitely a deal coming. And of course, he turned out to be completely wrong about that. (laughs) But uh, now we're getting down to, okay, what's the resolution here? I was very confident for a long time that a deal was going to get done. It was around halfway through October that I started saying, okay, I'm really worried. Now I'm like, this is really bad. Like, if you're drawing a scenario where this blows up on us, the first 60% of the way down that road is what we've seen happen. Where we don't have a resolution, where there doesn't appear to be anything close, where both sides are clearly getting frustrated with each other, as we've heard from multiple sources. And where it starts being like, okay, at what point do we start having to consider trading one of the best young players in hockey? And as Friedman says, now we're at the point where that's apparently being considered. This sucks. Yeah. So, okay, <laughs> we're we're going to try hard to not overreact to this, um, which is a little difficult because, number one, we're fans. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two, we're, again, recording this like an hour after this news is broken, right? So... It's all kind of raw and all kind of um, we haven't had time to think about it as thoroughly as we would normally and as we would like. But okay, so if I'm going to look at this in a positive interpretation for the Leafs, I would say that this is negotiation. This is a a leverage tactic. This is something that has leaked out deliberately, right? It's not an accident that this is the nugget that leaks out after weeks and weeks of kind of silence on both ends. This is the nugget Mm -hmm. that leaks out, and it's meant to show the Nylander camp that, hey, we're sticking to our valuation, and we are going to move on if you don't comply. And from everything we know about the Nylander camp, they do legitimately want to stay in Toronto. Or they did. (laughs) I think they (laughs) still did. I hate to say that, and I think, yeah, probably. But uh, as the tourist example would suggest, this was a relationship that I think we had every reason to feel positive about. And I would say that there is now legitimate reason to be concerned without catastrophizing. You're still speculating. I don't want to assume anything. I'm just saying this is not sunshine and roses anymore on a personal level, I don't think. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if, if you see this as, okay, a negotiating tactic, then this is not necessarily indicative of anything particularly, particularly interesting in of itself. It's just another, another act in this huge play that is this William Nylander saga, right? The issue then arises that, like, you don't really play this card, the publicly saying we are going to, or not publicly, but I guess leaking, because I think realistically this leak has to come from the Leaf side. Very probably. Or, or I guess the other teams involved, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Either way, that... Okay, actually, here, let me, let, me, let me back up. Either this leak, either this comes from the Leaf side as a leak... Or it's not a leak at all, and it's not really a leverage play at all. It's just news that has gotten out, right? Um, the charitable interpretation is that this is from the Leafs, although 
Friedman does says that he contacted Dubis and Dubis gave no comment, whatever. Um, but even then, it's just, when you play this card, you don't have a lot of cards left. This is not a card you play lightly. No, and it's set up by the fact that for the longest time, Kyle Dubas was telling everybody who would listen, mm -hmm. we can and we will. We're not trading William Nylander. We're not listing on William Nylander. We have no interest in playing William Nylander. It's a perfectly legitimate tactic at this stage of the game to say, okay, we have to at least listen to options. And they should. We, they 100% they yeah. should. Like, no criticism at all to the Leafs for listening to options on Nylander. That's their job. Yeah, this is due diligence. You have to be aware of it. And I mean, if you really want to sort of generalize it, you can say you should at least be open to listening all the time on every player's. And Kyle Dubas has actually said things like that in general in the past. But the fact remains, this is a clear change in stance. And it's something that we haven't been hearing before. What we've been hearing was, again, no trade, not happening. As recently as a week ago, Chris Johnson was reporting they might just let him sit out the year rather than trade him. Like, they were that averse to trading him at a loss. And now we're hearing something different. Well, that means nothing is moving. That means we're not having any progress. And even if this is a ploy, if this doesn't work, Kyle Dubas doesn't have any cards in his hand beyond wait till December 1st and hope the deadline does it for you. Because that's it. He doesn't have any other means of applying pressure. I can't believe that we're this close. I can't believe that it's taken this long. And that's still kind of where I'm coming at, where I think there should be a deal to be made here, but it hasn't been happening. And all the evidence is increasingly that it's really not getting close. So, like, hopefully this is sort of the kick in the ass that the negotiations need. Yeah. But the fact that we're getting to this point isn't great. The second thing is the David Pasternak comparable. Right. So David Pasternak is probably a somewhat better player than William Nylander. Yeah, I'd say, he's, I'd say he's, he's better than Nylander, probably by less than people would intuitively think just from their top line numbers. But yeah, he, he's, he's better than Nylander. Yeah. Also worth saying that David Pasternak might be on the best non-ELC contract in the league. He's underpaid considerably. By a ridiculous right. amount. Yeah, and someone pointed out, you know, the thing about David Pasternak as a comparable is that William Nylander's retort might easily be, yeah, he's super underpaid. I don't want that to happen to me. Uh, I think that was Justin Bourne who said that. Mm -hmm. But... He still is a comparable, right? Like, I yeah, mean, that, he it, is. It's still something to use. I think it's fair to say Pasternak is better. Pasternak is making 6.66 AAV. Yep. And the quote from Kiprios that the Leafs are moving in that direction, but it hasn't been a formal offer yet is very interesting because it suggests that they've been lowballing him kind of considerably. Now I have a thing that I talk about sometimes on here where I say, before you conclude that somebody is doing something stupid, you should try and think what legitimate reasons could they have for doing something? Yeah, absolutely. I was saying like two months ago, I think a reasonable deal for this would be like something like 6.8, 6.97 on a six or seven year deal, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. I am a little surprised that the Leafs are just now getting the point of offering 6.6. Well, apparently haven't even offered that. They're just leaning in that direction. And 
this is something Bob McKenzie said something to this effect on not the most recent edition of his podcast, but the one before that, where he said, yeah, the Leafs see his value somewhere between Ehlers and Pasternak's AAVs. And mm-hmm. we said this, you know, when we were discussing that, that is not an insulting offer to Nylander, but it's also not a very compelling one. No, he's going to say the cap has gone up since those deals were negotiated. And, and he's right. Um, so if we look at Pasternak, Pasternak, as you said, makes 6.66 AAV. Uh, that was under, I think, a $74.5 million cap or something like that. Um, if you, It was 8.89% of the cap at the time. If you apply that to this year's cap, you get set just about 7.1 mil. So when you offer Nylander 6.66 million, you're not offering him Pasternak money. You're offering him a fairly significant amount less than Pasternak money when you account yeah. for cap inflation. Right? Um, and uh, look, you, that could be a fair contract. Nylander's not a good, as good a player as Pasternak. But that's not a ridiculous contract either. If the Leafs signed uh, Nylander to the same contract that Pasternak is on, I would be incredibly happy. That is a value contract. I would say that that would be an excellent deal. Uh, I think that they would be doing really, really well out of that. And conversely, I'm sure Nylander is looking at that and saying, what the hell? (laughs) Um, You know, that would make him probably underpaid in a relative sense and certainly would mean that he's going to get, I would guess, significantly less than uh, Marner and Matthews are going to get. Yeah. And, And so... If this is where the Leafs are at in terms of their offer, $6.5 million or something, and they haven't gone above that, you think, okay, that probably isn't that enticing to Nylander. Now, they might have good reasons for not going higher than that yet mm-hmm. that don't mean that they don't understand his value. Like, they might still legitimately think, okay, a fair deal for him is $6.8, $6.9 million a year. But if Nylander's camp is, and I want to be clear that I'm guessing here, in the high sevens, they might say, okay, well, we're still closer to where this should end up than they are. They should move first. And so they might say the reason they haven't offered him a Pasternak deal is because they don't want to move in the direction of a resolution when the other side is still not really moving far enough off their initial offer. But that's all guessing. That's all me trying to put a spin on this where this makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense that Nylander is holding out, to use the common terminology, although I don't think that that's always an accurate description, but whatever. It makes a lot more sense that he's holding out if you come at it from an angle where the Leafs have been offering only this. Like, if Nylander is turning down 7 by 7 then I think that he's being a bit silly. I think that, you know, he should take that deal because it's reasonable, and it's about as good as he's going to do. But there's a question here now as to how the Leafs are going about this, it's still in flux. If this ends with Nylander on a good extension, notwithstanding all this storm and stress and upset, Kyle Dubas is going to chalk this up as a huge win. And he'll be right to. And he'll be right to. And he'll have executed it correctly. So, you know, the ball's still in the air. It's definitely an, an ends justify the means type of situation. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, this is going to be judged by the resolution. Yeah. Right? As you said, if we sign him to a good deal... Cool. I don't care how you got here. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's legitimate to look at how far we've come and say, we're in more doubt that that resolution is coming than we would have been a month ago, than we would have been two months ago, certainly. A lot of the paths that end badly start the way that we have come down. 
Exactly. And I think it's fair to say that unless William Nylander is nuts, like I'm talking he opened at 8.5 and he moved to 8.4 and then he hasn't moved since, then I think, you know, some of this will be on Kyle Dubas. He said we can and we will, which was great. It was a great slogan. More prosaically, whatever he said in the media, he should hang on to his young stars if he can. And again, this should be possible. This is a really big test for him. The first big one was the Tavares negotiation, and he passed that with flying colors. But if he bobbles this, this is devastating to the future of the Leafs. I don't think he gets value back in a trade that I would be satisfied with. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about that before. Just the Leafs are under the gun. Will Nylander is probably undervalued relative to the Leafs. If I'm another team, I'm also thinking like, you know, the, the old saying is that when you're drowning and you're a GM, other GMs don't throw you a life raft. They throw you an anvil. Yeah. You know, there's absolutely no reason for anyone to offer top dollar. Absolutely. I mean, if, if so, I don't know, if uh, Jared Spurgeon, just to pick a name, mm-hmm. was in a contract dispute, are we going to Minnesota and saying, hey, how about William Nienander? No, no, we're saying, have Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah. Right? We're, and, not, we're not sending them our best offer, at least not immediately. We're, and no team is going to do that with us. Carolina's not saying, do you want Jacob Slavin? They're saying, do you want Brett Pesci? Yeah. Or Justin Falk or something. Yeah. You know. So, so I mean, <laughs> look, again, we want to try not to overreact or condemn the Leafs here. We don't have all the information. It is very possible, again, that this is a leverage tactic, that this is posturing, that they're driving a hard bargain with the hopes of getting him to cave. And in reality, they're they're perfectly willing to give him six by 6.75. They just don't want to, they just want to see if they can get anything better first. Right? All of those are possible, but we're, we're, we're on a path that we've seen other teams experience, most notably in the tourist thing, and it's generally not common for a player and a team to have a protracted squabble over a contract and then be married together long term. No, there have been holdouts, and we were talking about this with Alan last week, mm-hmm. like the Kucherov deal where it ended in a bridge deal, which maybe was neither side's first choice, although it kind of worked out for Tampa, and that ended up working out. But I think that you can take the pieces that we've been given and at least be a little worried that these two sides have kind of antagonized each other one way or another. And again, we don't know for sure who's in the right, who's in the wrong, to what degree. Again, I don't like moralizing about it, period, because it's sophisticated parties looking out for their own interests. Yes, but, yeah, th- that's the other thing. Like, I don't think either party is necessarily in the wrong here. They've, they're both, you know, well within their contractual rights to do so. We're really in no position to judge them from a moral perspective. Um, if but we can be pissed, and we, we are. We, we can be annoyed, yeah, and that, <laughs> yeah. that's part of being a fan. Like, yeah, it, it's ridiculous as fans that we are invested in the outcomes of 23 strangers who play a sport, right? But we are, and this yeah. is no different. But I think the moralizing is probably... Yeah, not and really a, thing, a smart thing to do. I'll be honest though; it's like it's gonna get worse if this really blows up and we end up trading William Nylander for a bad return. First of all, I'll be really curious what extension he ends up signing for wherever he is traded, if that is to happen. Yeah, because I suspect 
I would have taken him at whatever he ends up signing for. Like, I don't think anyone's giving him 8.5. Mm-hmm. And one, if that happens, Nylander is immediately going to be persona non grata in Toronto. Which like, every time he comes back, the whole arena is going to be booing their heads off at him. And again, it's going to tar Kyle Dubas. He's going to have put his neck out there. And unless he pulls his ruin for Sergeyev thing, which again, I don't think he can. This is going to be like a real mark against the Leafs prospects of winning a cup in his tenure. Yeah. So the, the uh, other thing, you know, <laughs> the other thing that, that bothers me um, is that again, unless Nylander is truly asking for something ridiculous and, and, we don't know if that's true, if that's his expectation. But based on this, the Leafs have not even gotten to a particularly attractive offer from his perspective. Like, six, as I said, 6.5, 6.6, those aren't terrible offers on a six-year deal. They're not insulting, but they're also not great as soon as you factor in cap inflation. And again, look, I've mentioned this probably three or four times in the last three or four podcasts. Look beyond raw point totals. Mm-hmm. And it becomes pretty evident pretty fast that Nylander is worth around the, the Pasternak deal in absolute terms. Not cap relative terms, but in absolute terms. My worry is that um, the Leafs are potentially going to lose Nylander over what amounts to, say, 500k a year in AAV. That That's kind of my concern, right? Because some people are saying, you know what, well, what can you do? We can't afford him if he does that. Well, no, you can. You absolutely can. The Leafs can 100% afford him at $7 million. Yep. They can afford him at $7.2 million. It's not great. $7.2 million, I think, would not be an incredibly high-value deal. But if the option is signing him at 7.2 versus trading him for what I think we are likely to get, I would sign him for 7.2. It's not ideal at all. But you can make it work. The The stars are not the people you have to worry about. If you, if you overpay a star by 500 k mm-hmm. you save that by trading Connor Brown. You save that by making sure your 13th forward and your 7th defenseman are making league minimum. You save that by making sure your backup is not uh, expensive. You save that by doing any number of things that are not trading that superstar. Yeah, Katja has had an example of this that she brought up. The Leafs saved uh, $625,000 against the cap by trading Connor Carrick and replacing him with Justin Hall. Like, that's it. 6.25. Sorry, I should say 625000 but, like, I just can't help thinking, and I know that there's an element of not wanting to cave here and not wanting to set a bad precedent. And, again, right. I'm not saying go off the wall. I'm not yeah. saying give him something that no one else is going to give him. Yeah, don't dry side it. But if this comes down to, like, two or $300,000 more than I'd love to pay him, and it ends up being a trade as opposed to us signing that contract, I'm going to be pissed as hell, and I'm going to say Kyle Dubas screwed this up. You know, I'm not going to say William Nylander screwed this up. If, you know, maybe Nylander is being unreasonable. Maybe all those stupid Twitter memes about Greedlander are somewhat valid. We can't know yet. We can't, we may never know, but... The the new name is Melander. Oh, friggin' hell. You didn't get the memo? You know, I think, honestly, on a deep emotional level, it's the terrible memes that are really pushing me over the edge here. <laughs> it's just like, come on, man. Just, uh Anyway, this sucks, I would say, is the bottom line. Yeah. I love 
watching William Nylander play hockey, he was him being drafted was one of the first things that got me really excited about this team again after a long stretch where it was mostly us getting kicked in the ass. And so the prospect of losing him when it still shouldn't really have to come to that is daunting. Now that said, we still have three weeks before the deadline Yeah, where he has to be signed. I still think, and this is going to be way underplayed, that the Leafs really want to sign him and they are trying to find yes, a absolutely. way out of this where they do sign him. Like, you know, as Friedman emphasized, that's their goal but, as much as we've moved into a new stage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, he, this is tough to watch. Yeah, it, it's just, I, I don't think it's smart to lose, to potentially lose Nylander over what amounts to a small, uh, I guess, difference in valuation between agent and team. I think if that's the case, you might as well just bite the bullet. I I hope it doesn't come to that. Mm-hmm. I trust Kyle Dubas. I think he's a smart guy. I don't think he would do something completely inane. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's worrisome that we've gotten to this point. That that's the bottom line. It's at this point, there's nothing other than a deal is imminent that will make us feel better about the way this is going. And this particular nugget is about as far away as possible from a deal is imminent. Um, real quickly, because I know we haven't touched on it for a while. Uh, the the reason why I think both of us think you're not going to get value in a deal for Nienander, um, aside from the fact that uh, the Leafs are under the gun, as, as you said earlier, Fuleman, and that teams are not going to throw you throw us a lifeline. Nienander last year, um, he, he, he had a year that was unlucky in, in some ways, and in, in ways that are probably not respected fully. Uh, by other teams and certainly by fans at large who don't kind of dig into this sort of thing. Um, he had, first off, low time on ice in, in general. For for a first-line player, for someone of that caliber, he didn't play that much in raw terms. No one on the Leafs did. That's just kind of the way they played. Um, actually, I'll, I'll amend that. No one on the Leafs did when you factor in all situations um, because Matthews and Nylander actually played a decent amount at even strength, but they weren't on the top power play unit. Um Marner started off lower in the on the depth chart just because his uh, his minutes were kind of tied to that Bozak JVR line and they had to be used kind of carefully. So none of them really played huge minutes relative to other stars. And that depresses your counting numbers. Uh, Nienander's power play unit kind of struggled last year. And we've seen before that he can be a very successful part of a strong power play unit. So it wasn't necessarily a fault of him as much as it was variance in something systemic. He came off a what is perceived as a bad playoffs. Right where he didn't really get any shooting luck, um, where the Leafs lost, where he took a lot of criticism, all of those things are going to count against him in a trade ba- in, a, in the trade market. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, he's seen he he's just been sitting right. And recency bias is a thing. Um, people forget how good Nylander is because we haven't seen him play in a long time. Yeah, I, for that reason. And so think- all of that kind of adds up to. I don't think we're getting close to value like i said earlier the venn diagram of players you get for william nylander and players you should trade william nylander for is pretty much two separate circles i am more convinced that that is true now than ever i really think that that situation has unfortunately gotten worse as the trade has started to seem more plausible that's kind of the nature of uh of leverage so yeah all i can say is there's still time for this to work out 
there is still potential for Kyle Dubas to kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat. And if that's the bottom line, that washes out all of this angst and upset. But yeah, bottom line, it's tough times right now. And all we can do is cross our fingers. Yeah. Um, this unfortunately kind of comes off the back of the Leafs having what I would say is a pretty decent week on the whole. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't feel like that because, again, the Bruins just did horrible bad things to us. But the Leafs look quite good against the New Jersey Devils. Now, the New Jersey Devils are not that great a team. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, you know, they played solidly. Um, they ran up the score. It was really kind of a complete game. And Andreas Janssen on Friday night looked kind of rejuvenated, which has been nice because he's had a bit of a rough start to the year. Yeah. All of that is kind of washed out. Yeah, Vegas kind of, um, they kind of dominated us on the shot clock, although it was definitely more shot quantity than shot quality in that instance. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, look, the Leafs are a good team, and it, it gets not lost. Nothing gets lost in Leafland, really. But the fact is we've been dealing with a start to the season where at no point have we had our ideal lineup. We've been missing Nylander for the entire season. We've been missing Matthews for the, feels like the past year. But it's it's been ten days or so. Um, this team is is good. That doesn't mean it's a lock to get out of the first round. That doesn't mean anything in terms of postseason performance, really. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact that we can be reasonably confident that we're going to get there. But yeah, I, for a team that is in as objectively a good situation as the Leafs are, it's a bit morose. Yeah, it, it's very hard to feel that good. One, the Nylander thing is hanging over it, but two. Already, I think Tampa is starting to put up a little bit of separation in terms of quality. They're three points ahead of us in the standings, but I think it's reasonable to expect that they're going to win the division again, all things being equal. I mean, anything can happen, Mm -hmm. but our chance of taking it from them was probably kind of based on us having our full lineup for at least most of the year. Yeah, Um, There, there weren't that many paths that led to that outcome, and less of them where we started the year without Nylander and had to deal with Matthews being gone for a month. Yeah, and so that's unfortunate. So, you know, now we're looking at, okay, can we button down the two seed? And we've got a decent chance of that, but buttoning down the two seed probably means we face Boston again. And I don't think that anyone is that excited about facing Boston again. It would be nice to exercise some demons. Mm -hmm. I'd love to just sweep them off the face of the earth and watch Brad Marchand cry in the handshake line and... Zidane Chara finally retires so he can stop getting away with interference every two goddamn seconds, but it's not a fun matchup for us. I, I think you've said, you know, they just seem to to give us a hard time. They've still yeah, got I mean, that I, first line. I have irrational fears about the Bruins. Like, look, being realistic, I think they are as worried of, of us as we are of them. It's like it's like the real-life advice people give you when you run into bears and at a camp. <laughs> it's like, the bears are just as afraid of you. Um... <laughs> And it kind of works with the them being called the Bruins. But yeah, I think they are not happy if they have to face us. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a tough matchup. But I do think that, man, it's just, they're just a tough team to play against. It, it's really frustrating to have to have to face that buzzsaw of a first line. It's just ridiculous. I have to admit, I'm also like, I'm not big on the divisional playoffs thing to begin with. I, I thought mm-hmm. the one to eight thing in the conference was fine. Mm-hmm. But... The flip side of, you know, rivalries that the league likes to go on and on about is, like, there's a very real sense of, like, oh, you again? Shit. You know, it's, like, it's a bit, 
routine. It would be more interesting just to play someone different just for variety's sake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. just from that perspective, it would be kind of nice to play someone else. Another thing that is weighing me down a little bit is, unfortunately, Garrett Sparks did not have the best of evenings tonight. I don't know what else to say mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, your, your cat's not a fan of him either. <laughs> no, I mean, the cat immediately chimed in hard. He, you know what? He's as upset as we are, I think, about the Nylander thing, and you can tell in his voice. But Cats uh, can read emotions quite well. <laughs> is, is he playing off my stress on some level where he's like, <laughs> I just got to support the guy who provides me food. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so it sparks, you know, not having the greatest of night. The reality is it, it is tough to come in. It's a tough thing to play the Boston Bruins on a back-to-back -back and to get kind of scorched by them. And also, you know, don't look now, but Curtis McElhinney is putting up an 80-84 with the Hurricanes right. in save percentage. So it's not like, you know, it would be silly anyway to point at five games and say, see, this proves that it was wrong to keep Sparks. But, you know, there's nothing there. It's just you hope Sparks can find his feet. Because yeah, the there, was a, there was a point you made early on. I think it was probably after the Chicago start where you said that like, whatever you felt about Sparks beforehand, this should not really change your opinion. Mm -hmm. And he's what played two games since then maybe three at most yeah again if whatever you thought about sparks in october probably that's what you should think of him now yeah i do get uh one the impression mike babcock does not like playing garrett sparks no like he had a quote that was um you know oh i'd have to look at the tape when he was talking about uh <laughs> it's never a good sign yeah like he like he didn't say like oh he played well but uh yeah, so when you're not immediately like, you know, he did also say, you know, like, look, we played as a team, we win as a team, we lose as a team, but he would not have kept Sparks if he were making the decision, and I'm sure every time Sparks gets blown out, he kind of thinks, geez, Kyle, good job, but uh, yeah, the most you can say is like, look, this isn't much of a sample, it was probably the right decision on the info we had at the time, the only thing is, is that you just hope he gets his feet under him because notwithstanding, we can say it's a small sample and this doesn't really say how good he is in general. It's points that we don't get after a certain point, you know? Like, you've got to right. get a certain number of points from games in which you do play your backup. So you hope he can stabilize a little bit in that regard. But beyond that, all you can do is shrug and hope that he, he gets his feet under him again. Um yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Fun times, man. <laughs> so let's try and talk about something optimistic. Right. Because <laughs> otherwise I think this is going to turn into like the podcast of Pure Despair, which is that Kasperi Kapanen has been fun. He's been good. He's yeah, been he's really, been good. really good. Um, he's an RFA after this year. Shit, can we afford it? <laughs> um, okay, put, putting aside all the contract things, and I'll, I'll mention here, Kapanen is exactly the type of guy you can squeeze, mm -hmm. um, more so than with Nienander because he will have less reasonable expectation or less reasonable cause to hold out for a long-term deal. Realistically, he's going to probably want a short-term deal yeah. to prove his worth, right? Where he'll be higher up in the lineup, he'll have a chance to move up, especially as Patrick Morato moves on and out of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, Kapanen has been good, and I think he's, he's shown exactly what... Uh, we were hoping he would show he's still kind of more feet than hands right like his his feet run faster than his brain and his hands can keep up with which is fine um it's, it's mostly it, a reflection of just how goddamn fast his yeah feet are. i mean like if, <laughs> if, if if he was able to think and play as fast as his feet he would 
pretty much be like Dylan Larkin or Con- like or the extreme version is Connor McDavid, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's reasonable. Um, he, I think he's a top six winger. Yep, I, I think that, that's and, fair. And you know, that's that's really really good. I mean. Not that the Leafs are... Well, I guess now the Leafs might be short on top six wingers. We're doing a great job of staying positive. Um, but Are there any holes yeah, in the it, lineup that he could fill? Oh, well, yeah, I guess there are. He's been good. He's been a pleasant surprise. I think you and I had both kind of discussed that, like, hey, we cannot bank on Kapanen to, and especially Janssen, to replace people like JVR mm-hmm. um, effectively. He has come close. He is not as good as JVR was last year. Mm-hmm. Not not that many players in the league are um but he's been very very good comfortably a top six winger i have no issues playing him uh where where we play him i would actually when nylander comes back and i'm going to be positive when nylander comes back mm-hmm. um i want to see him still on the top line maybe on his off wing or maybe with nylander on his off wing i i think he brings a lot to those high-end groups he is good enough in those board battles his speed just causes so many problems he's another puck carrying threat he has enough offensive chops to hang around in the offensive zone and play off skilled players mm-hmm. right like he's he's done a really nice job with 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 Kadri, i think uh and you, you can see how how much Kadri enjoys having someone with some genuine offensive ability to play with yeah i mean god bless i feel like we were sort of the making fun of connor brown podcast which is really not what i want to be but <laughs> We somehow end up coming across like, gee, he doesn't score a lot about every two podcasts. But you know what? I'll say Connor Brown has had a better year than I've given him credit for. Given him credit for. You know what? Yeah, uh, he's been fine. He scored in his last couple games, except for tonight against the Bruins. But like, even aside from that, he has been relatively effective. He's not over. He's overpaid if we see him as a fourth liner. Um, but he's he's like a decent third liner, I think, mm-hmm. and he's paid pretty economically for one. I don't think we will keep him perhaps even beyond this summer. But he, I have no real issues with um, his play or his contract or anything, or given his expectations of the team. It's, it's frustrating when he gets overplayed, it but is. that hasn't really happened this year. No. I, I mean, we have barely had the chance to overplay him just with yeah. you know, holes in the lineup and stuff like that. I will say, I will be very surprised if he's traded this summer. I know that there are reasons why it could happen to clear salary space. Mm-hmm. I could totally get it, but... I think that he is the kind of guy Mike Babcock likes a lot. And I think that the marginal benefit of freeing his cap space is not such that Kyle Dubas is going to mess with that. But but anyway. You're right. It'll, it'll depend a lot on the other things that the Leafs can do. Like if they can get out of the Zaitsev deal, if they can, I, I don't really see any way they get out of the Marlowe deal, uh, short of like winning the cup this year and him deciding to take a victory lap in San Jose. But if we win the cup this year, like I do not give a fuck what we do in the off season. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is if you look at the, the caps, like they did a lot of dumb things in this off season, but again, all of their fans are still drunk. Like who yeah. cares? Yeah. Um, no, it really like if the least win a cup, it does not matter. Yeah. And you know, it's worth saying that for all the doom and gloom and like, it's very easy to see the worst case scenarios. It's also possible in a month's time, for things to be looking a lot better than they feel like now. Just because yeah, Matthews it, will be back and Nylander might be back. And it's even possible without Nylander that the Leafs win the cup. I don't think it's terribly likely, but it's possible. There's, It's not a remotely... It, or it's not like you know something that could never happen in a million, million years. No. I mean, even without him, they do have arguably the best center group at the NHL. So at least that's something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, I guess that we're now in the sort of rationalization stage of grief. So that's nice. Um, 
one thing that has helped me get through some of these pretty, you know, these difficult times that we've experienced is the Ottawa Senators. Oh my God. Uh, you know, every every time, Fulham and I actually, we talk about this podcast, like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And sometimes we're like, okay, I don't think we can do the Sens again this week because we just did them last week. <laughs> but, but they, they come through. They keep finding ways to make us talk about them <laughs> and make fun of them. And it's so easy. Okay, so I have an evolving theory of the Ottawa Senators, which is that, one, their dysfunction, which is generated by Eugene Melnick, one, not being able able or willing to pay anybody like 10 goddamn cents like that dysfunction spawns all sorts of issues throughout the organization and then every Mm -hmm. single one of those issues that is thereby created they will make worse with the worst pr you can imagine so 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 let's let's set up exactly what what's happened here What what are we referring to i'm sure everyone knows but just in case people have forgotten so bringing it back to the start of this week when we were all so much younger and more innocent the Ottawa Senators at one point a few weeks ago were playing in Arizona and they took an Uber home from somewhere. Several of the players had been out. And so Matt Duchesne was there. Tom Chabot was there. A couple other guys. And yeah, they took an Uber. The Uber driver had a camera in his car, which is not unheard of for security reasons. Although there are a lot of issues around that. But the players started talking and kind of griping about the bosses they want to do. And Matt Deshane basically shit all over their special teams coach, Marty Raymond, and was like, this guy has made, like, the worst power play and the worst penalty kill in the NHL in consecutive years. Yeah, so one, a couple things I want to note here. First, Duchesne's criticisms were not really out of... They're not wrong. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's so much worse because he's kind of right. Like, yeah. it's a lot harder to laugh off because people are like, well... It's not going very well. Yeah, like, like if, if Austin Matthews was like, oh, fuck, I can't get any PP one time. This is ridiculous, right? And people would like point out like, hey, buddy, like this power play is insane. Check yourself. Yeah, but when right? it's like, it's going very poorly, it's sort of like, oh. But then Duchesne said, I haven't even paid attention in three weeks, which again is hilarious to me. I love just like, man, I'm just fucking checked out. I don't care anymore. But that's not what you want to hear from your best center. Which he still is, although for how much longer, who can say? Yeah, but and <laughs> especially when the other players in the car were like, there was Tom Chabot, who is a who is kind of their heir apparent number one defenseman, who, mm-hmm. and he looks really, really good. Yeah. Um, there was Chris Weidman was there. Uh, a couple players. I think Dylan DeMello was in the car, guy who they just traded for, right? Part of the Carlson deal. Yeah. It's kind of worrying that like you're one of your best players you're one of your best prospects you guys on the team are all kind of joining in on like the shitting on the on the on the boss and okay actually i'll say a couple things here quickly um first i don't think and i think um i don't think the players are unreasonable in griping about their boss no everyone does that. everyone I think does everyone it. I think, said that it's like we've yes, all everyone complained. said that yeah so i think that's actually people have reacted very very well to that it it, it happens People blow off steam. It just happened to get caught. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt that every every team in the league, good or bad, has these conversations. I'm sure that some Leafs players over dinner complained about Mike Babcock or complained about fucking Lou made me shave. Like, I, I guarantee that's happened. But I it didn't get out. I would be stunned if that's happening now. Like, yeah. as we're recording after a tough loss, some of us like, ah, he should have let me play. You know, something like that. And that's fine. But it's worse... 
when the team sucks because everyone complains more and is more bitter. And again, the complaints are more obviously merited. And then it's just so senators that it would leak out. This is the thing. Is this yeah. element this of it is This could have happened to any lot. team, but it couldn't happen to any team besides the senators. <laughs> no. In a, in a way. In like a more abstract order of the universe way. It's worth pointing out that a lot of the things that have happened to the senators, some of them are of their own making, and I'm going to get to one of them later that is really funny to me. But some of them are just like, I think that they have like a biblical curse on them or something. Like, I don't know, Eugene Melnick opened the tomb of Tutankhamun or something. And, you know, now the plagues will des descend upon his organization for the next century. Because, like, what are the chances that an Uber driver in Arizona, which is like widely considered to be kind of the least hockey interested NHL market, would record a bunch of sends players would get mad that they stiffed him on a tip would be short-sighted enough to think that he should put this on the internet uh with i guess some hope of getting paid off or something i don't know what he was really thinking because it was stupid and he got Very fired dumb. uh as anyone could have told him that he would have like just everything that had to happen for that to line up the way that it did really feels like the universe is saying what I've always believed, which is that the Senators are a mistake in conception. They shouldn't exist. It's not right. And the forces that be are acting out against them by having the spirit shit happen. Anyway, that's my theory. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to point out. Um, as you said, Duchesne points out that Marty Raymond had like the league's worst power play last year and the league's worst penalty kill this year. And I love when NHL teams do this. When they, <laughs> they have... Two coaches, one's assigned to do power play, one's assigned to do the special teams. And just to shake things up because things aren't going well, they just switch them. Yeah. Like for, it's like such a deck chairs on the Titanic type of move. Because it's like, okay, guys, you both suck at your jobs. But, you know, the power play guy, you have experience with what a bad power play looks like. So we want you to make other teams' power plays look bad. You're the penalty <laughs> kill guy now. And it's like, I don't understand why that would work. They're like different things, different skill sets. Try why and force the other team into good at your one. system on the power play. <laughs> it's it's awful and it's i mean it's also born out of it's such a senator thing to do because like a regular team if they're not happy with the coaching staff they fire them but the sense have no money to do that <laughs> so they just fucking tell them to do the other person's job i kind of want it's, this to go to like a new extreme where it's like finally like okay we're gonna bring in the head of european scouting well the sense don't have european scouting the head of north american scouting and we're gonna have him run the penalty kill like just keep rearranging the guys until you find some combination that you're happy with I saw the funniest video today. So, um, Victor Hedman scored a power play goal against the Senators. And so someone overlaid the video of that goal with Chris Weidman, uh, complaining about the power play. Cause it's like, he, Weidman says something to the effect of, man, we just, we just let them come up, come at us with speed. There's no pressure on them at all. And Andy Anderson, the goalie is super surprised. He's like, oh shit. And in this goal, Victor Hedman literally just skates from behind his own net to the slot of the Senators with no, no pressure at all. Like, literally none. And scores. It's, yeah. It's amazing. I'm, like, convulsing with laughter just thinking about it. Honestly, the thing is, is that the Sens, as they are, might enter into that weird late-stage despair thing that you get in a season because they're going to be bad. They're going to be very bad this year. And they already are. I mean, yeah. It's only going to get worse, I think, because they had, like, a PDO streak briefly to start the year. Mm -hmm. um, and if they trade Deshane and maybe Mark Stone, 
it'll get real ugly. Uh, and so I think we could see some real lackadaisical defending on that penalty kill. Like, it could just end up being, we're going to stand in a diamond and hope nothing bad happens. Which I think would be funny. I feel a little bad for Marty Raymond. I have no idea if he's actually good or bad at his job. Although, I mean... He's employed by the Sens. Yeah, so... There, there's like three people employed by the Sens who are good at their jobs. Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, and Thomas Chabot. Yeah. So, I mean, going off our priors, probably they suck. So all of this was embarrassing and bad. It happens. I think, honestly, the team could have handled it just by saying, and this was a casual suggestion, something like, we don't think that these private conversations have been made public. We want our whole team to come together. Uh, we believe in Marty Raymond. We've just dealt with this internally. We have no further comment. And just sort of take one press statement and throw it all over like that. But what yeah. they did was they said, we've dealt with it internally. But then they made a bunch of players who weren't in the car available to the press, which was interesting. And then they did my favorite thing in this whole thing. And I think that I'm justified in saying that it seems like the sense did this, although it's still pending. But a bunch of Twitter bots began showing up and talking to reporters and people like Travis Yost at TSN and stuff like that, saying, hey... The Sens should be really grateful they have an owner like Eugene Melnick who's willing to keep them in town. Now, first of all, when I said that, is there anyone outside of Eugene Melnick himself who thinks that the Sens fans should be grateful for him? <laughs> like, he's consensus the worst owner in the NHL, by yeah. far. And so, right away, that's kind of sketchy. And two, it turned out the accounts that were saying this were using, like, stock photos from Maybelline makeup models... It was also, it's also super obvious. They, they were they bad used the bots, same text. too. <laughs> they used this exact same text with the same wording and everything, but adding the same people. Like, it's, it was so obvious. Yeah, and, like, their bios were all, like, looking to make friends. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I hope you got some friends, strange robot in the shape of a Maybelline makeup model. But yeah, it's, and also, okay, so this is a... I read this story. I heard. I read the headline of the story. I haven't actually read the story, but like, didn't they um, also like ban or they they tried to get the Ottawa citizen to take the video down or take the story down or something yeah. like that? Yeah, which is like that, that's fucking bullshit. Like, that's what a waste of energy. Yeah, because the citizen is going to be like, mm, no, and that's going to be the end of that. And then they banned the citizen's hockey reporter from going on team flights, which is just like okay. Like, you know, I guess you can do that, but it's... It, I I mean, as everyone knows, when something's on the internet, the way to get people to not pay attention to it is to publicly ask whoever owns it to delete it. That always works. <laughs> Never has that ever resulted in another, in, in more attention being placed on said item. There is not even an internet term for this. <laughs> inspired by Barbara Streisand. No, that doesn't exist. No, definitely. Stry Barbara Streisand was wholly successful in getting pictures of her house taken down. I, there was a similar thing of that really wonderful photo of the very talented artist Beyonce Knowles. Oh, at the Super Bowl, yeah. Yeah, and she just has like an expression on her face like, and Yeah, she's, she's in the middle of performing an elaborate act. Like, yeah. it's, it happens, I, whatever. The thing is, is that like, it's, it's wholly unfair to judge any performer by how they look making a weird face. But as soon as you react to people showing that and start saying, hey, remove this from the internet, you are guaranteeing that everyone on the planet will laugh in your face. Yeah, it's... But this I is mean, the nature of the sense. 
This is my theory of the Senators, which is bad stuff happens to them, partly driven by their horribly dysfunctional ownership, but then they make it a thousand times worse by continually botching the PR that they attempt to employ to fix the first thing. Because one, the issues are underlying. The problem with the team is the team sucks. And the team sucks because they've mismanaged themselves into the ground, because they don't hire enough scouts, because their GM has made extremely aggressive trades that have made no sense, they alienated their star player, on and on. But then it's like, who could have thought that making, again, a bunch of really obvious Twitter bots that I suspect cost a pretty small amount of money because otherwise they should have been better, would have fixed this, would have aided the situation, would not have immediately been discovered. Only Eugene Melnick would think that. Only Eugene Melnick would do what he has done to try and rectify the situation. And so I think that's what makes the sense so fun because it's not just that something else is going to go wrong with them. And it's something always does. It's like they had three good weeks in a bit there. But it's that something will go wrong and then they'll try and like cover it up or make it better. And somehow they will just cover themselves and shit doing it. Like, I saw a tweet once that said the whole Ottawa Senators thing is, like, event happens, and the Sens are like, all right, we're going to glue our balls to the inside of our thigh again. Like, that just seems to be their problem-solving level. And so... Yeah, they're not good. That's why it's so much fun. So you know what? As much as we've had some despair about William Meeland and stuff like that, at least our team doesn't perpetually glue their balls to the inside of their thigh. Do you think the senators told the Ottawa citizen that, like, the story is unlawful? <laughs> I hope that, you know what, I mean, they implicitly did, right? They said that, it, yeah. like, it wasn't newsworthy, and it's like, yes. That's an inside joke that goes over, that, like, 95% of our listeners will have no idea what we're referring to. But for the 5% who do, yeah, uh, you're OGs. I'll, okay, so Pension Plan Puppets is a rather old site. Like, we originated in, I think, 2006? I wasn't, you know, even around then. But no, there Wasn't used to be then. these contests on one of the Toronto sports channels where you could win a VTech phone. Fun story. My, my parents actually entered one of those for the Raptors, and we ended up winning one of those VTech phones. You it's like VTech every time phone? they hit a three. Yeah. We still have those phones. What is a VTech? Is it just like a landline it, phone? Yeah, it's a landline phone. Oh. Like, I mean, this was in like 2005 or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, the, Landline phones were useful then. But, like, VTech sounds like it should do something. Like, it should make you toast. No, it's, or... uh, if it's, it's a pretty decent phone, I guess. I mean, like, that, that's it has, has some good features. Anyway, the VTech phone life. thing... <laughs> the VTech phone thing was a contest, and someone named Chaim Weisswasser um, uh, won the VTech phone. And someone in one of our game threads said, like, oh, Chaim Weisswasser, what a name. And Chaim Weisswasser apparently googled himself and found the site and said please remove a post about me this is unlawful and i'd like to emphasize it's not unlawful for people to just say your name on the internet <laughs> and all that he achieved was that he created in a giant discussion about this is unlawful and people just saying his name and so now that when you google his name forever unfortunately that thread is what comes up several years later so basically <laughs> It should really be called the Weisswasser effect instead of the, the Streisand effect. Yeah. Why don't they cater to our niche blog when, <laughs> when naming these things? But, like, I guess this is why I'm so fascinated by the Ottawa Senators. Why they're so much fun. Because, you know, I enjoy the, their failure because, again, they're a rival and screw them. 
but they really just have that special flavor of debacle that you don't really get anywhere else. You know, so that, that's yeah, really been no, my consolation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, put it this way. The, the Leafs could trade William Nylander for a conditional 2027 seventh round pick, and they'd still be in a far better shape than the Senators. <laughs> that's true. They could trade him to the Senators for a conditional 2027 20, round pick, and they would be in better shape than the Senators. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that we are going to probably pick before them in the draft, depending on what they get back for Duchesne. But, um, which is embarrassing because they're going to finish, like, bottom five. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, a, that's a consolation. It's, amazing. it's a gift that keeps on giving. Like, I, I wonder what they're going to do with Duchesne. Um, mm-hmm. Duchesne's had a ridiculously good start to the year. Like, he's a very good player. This. He's a very good player. He's really good. It's, um, it's all the more impressive considering he hasn't paid attention in three weeks. But actually, maybe that's why he's better because <laughs> yeah, he's kind of just they're not doing infe- his thing. They're not infecting him with their uh, terrible special teams play. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's really good. And I wonder, I mean, surely they're going to trade him. He, he is not sticking around. No, the guy after who, this, like, yeah, uh... like... The guy who openly <laughs> trashed your PP slash PK slash assistant equipment manager slash accountant uh, is not going to stick around. So yeah, you gotta trade him. You have to. Yeah, I mean he kind of was. And you'll, you'll get a lot for him anyway. You'll get a lot for him. You should get like a, a first and a decent prospect for him. Yeah, I mean I would think that you should get probably a top five pick in the Jack Hughes draft. At least if Preston <laughs> is any guide, but I guess <laughs> but in all seriousness, like they should get a first for him at least, and then they'll get back into the first round of the draft. Give their fans sort of something to get excited about coming into draft day. I mean, it, it's gonna look. It's gonna suck for them, either way, given that they're gonna give a high pick to Colorado. But mm-hmm. you know, if you have something to to kind of sink your teeth into in terms of you're looking at draft lists and you're convincing yourself that whoever you took is gonna be a star or something, having any first round pick is something. Yeah. Y- you know, I keep thinking. There's a lot of uh, of stuff, you know, when you say things critical of general managers or something, uh, there's always going to be someone who responds to you and says something like, oh yeah, you think you could run an AGL team? And by and large, I want to be clear, no, I could not. Mm-hmm. Um, I could run the Ottawa Senators better than they are run right now. And that's not really a statement about my abilities as it is that I'm a human being who doesn't bump his head into the doorway every time I try and walk through it. Like, <laughs> By virtue of answering my questions within five seconds of me asking them, you're already doing better than Pierre Dorian. <laughs> yeah, did we? I, I hope we've mentioned this, but uh, Pierre Dorian was interviewed. No, we, 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 we've, we've mentioned it. Oh, okay. Well, the, the we're a team thing, which I think is really... It's especially funny now. <laughs> We're a team that hates its coaching. But, uh, yeah, it's just, there's such such a buffet of delights to, to enjoy with the Ottawa Senators. I hope, I don't hope, I think for their sake they should at least extend Mark Stone. Like I he, mean, they should try, right? They should try. And but he they, apparently they, there's two parties them. to that. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, they couldn't come to an extension last summer. Well, which, and for, by all accounts, he wants to stay there, which, like, why? <laughs> Love yourself, man. Like, you're a good person. You, 
Well, I mean, look, I mean, I get like Ottawa. No joke, it, it's a nice town. I have it a lot is. of friends who live there. Um, they like living there. It's a nice place. I, I can get why someone would want to stay, but it's just if you're Mark Stone, this is your one chance to sign a big money deal, pretty much wherever you want. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much every team in the league is going to make room for you, with some exceptions. Um, like, go for it, man! Like you, you got you got one chance to do this. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of places that'll give you $9 million per. One, yeah. I don't know if Ottawa would. Like, at, Ottawa is nearing the point now where it's like, well, you have to pay somebody to hit the cap floor. So, you know, you might as well do something. Like, they have to retain at least one of these stars, don't they? Because if they lose Stone, their team is literally like, okay, we have Kachuk and Chabot, and then we're building ground up. But, like, that's kind of... It's Pathetic. kind of like Buffalo Sabres circa 2016. Yeah, like that's what it would, it would approach. And even then that's saying that Kachuk has looked pretty good and Chabot looks like a stud, but yeah. they're two guys. They're and, two guys who also don't appear to be, like, they'll be very good NHL players, but they're not transformative top 10 players in the world type. No. And so really they would be starting again from the ground floor, but it's almost like the thing about losing Mark Stone would be Coming on the heels of, we assume, losing Duchesne, uh, trading away Eric Carlson, the Mike Hoffman thing. At a certain point, it's like, I would honestly feel like you want to do something just to maintain some base level of credibility as a franchise. And, like, I'm being generous saying that they have anything left in that regard. But at the same time, it's like, you want to... be able to point to something and say, okay, we can retain a good player once in a while. You know, we can be a place that people want to stay. And we can sort of do something to have something positive to talk about going into the next era because it's going to be an ugly couple of years. And so even then, even though Stone kind of doesn't suit their timeline especially, and you can make a kind of rational actor argument to trade him at the deadline, I do almost think like, they just have to do this to avoid being completely embarrassed. And since it's the Senators, that means they're going to screw it up. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, um, that, was, that was really therapeutic. I know. I do, Actually, I feel kind of good now, um, which it says probably a lot about me as a person. But, uh, yeah. I mean, bottom line is all we can do is wait and see with the Leafs. And, you know, if nothing else, hey, 11-6 and six is a pretty good record. So there's always that, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, on that note, um, that's about it for everything here. You can follow myself and Fuleman on Twitter at RV and at AT Fuleman. You can find all of our work at pensionplanpuppets.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a week.